Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Now, my guest for today. My guest for today is an oracle of knowledge, of knowledge tested through the centuries of marketing testing. He's a senior director of content and marketing at Mech Labs Institute, which is also marketing Sherpas, marketing experiments. These are the testing Jedi masters in the marketing realm. So if you don't know about them, you're about to. He's also a writer, a speaker, and a family man. Daniel Burstein, how are you, sir? Good, good. Good to be here, Casey. You know, part of what you're doing in marketing is you're setting customer expectations. So I think we need yes. to take, do take two and set those expectations <laughs> about 10 rungs lower. Lower them a little bit. You don't have your, your cloak, your Jedi cloak on just yet. <laughs> I think we're going to get going today. Yeah, let's do it, man. So the theme for today and why you're here, and it's a perfect tie-in, and this is that CSI we're talking about, that roadmap for maximizing marketing automation. We're seeing people out there with a tool not really using it full to its fullest potential, just blasting like their MailChimp. Sorry, MailChimp. And, uh, and so we, we create a roadmap for people. So every month has been a different theme. We've, we've gotten into our buyers. We've set up ROI tracking. We've done all sorts of things. And now we're at the point where um, we're, it's all about testing, testing, evaluating, optimizing. Um, but I think testing is a bigger thing than we even thought. But I, what I want to do is say, you know, based on the fact that it's about testing and marketing, I want to pass you Thor's hammer and, and what smash a myth for me. What, what do you want to just be bogus strategy you're hearing out there, or maybe some misconceptions about what marketing testing really is smash away. Well, here, here's the biggest myth I see, right? And I'm sure you've heard this in meetings. Like I wouldn't do that. I, I wouldn't buy that. I wouldn't take this back. I've said I, that. <laughs> I would do that. Right. Yeah. So let's say you're a CMO, your, your marketing director, you know, presents you an offer that's coming up or something like that, or, or you're looking at your agency present to you and they've got, you know, different copy that they think would go well or an right. email or something like this. You see that and you're like, I would never, I would never click on that. I would never buy that. And so right. what I would say is who cares, <laughs> right? Who cares what you would do if yeah. you are not your customer and you're not your customer. Right. Right. And so I think that's, so when we talk mm. about testing, that is the most boring term in the world, isn't it? I mean, can you think back to school? It's test day. Yeah, I know, Casey, you, you were not excited about testing. You were not coming in like, yay, no. today we get to I was, I, I showed up, but yeah, not exactly stoked about that. Yeah. And so, and that's the same thing, you know, testing, that itself sounds boring. But what right. testing really is, is we need to break down this false obstacle we have between us and our customers, because we're not our customers. So we can't sit there, sit in a boardroom, look at creative, think of an offer, think of our product and say, I'd do this. I wouldn't do that. You know, you get to get to remember, wait, who cares? Yeah. It's not me. It's the customer. So I've got what I brought today. I got six examples of how we do that, how I've done that. Really? And then we can also talk about obviously how to overcome it, how to work testing yeah. into what you're doing. So Let's do it. Cause I am guilty of this. I remember sitting and, you know, watching a commercial and being like, that's the shittiest commercial I've ever seen. I could do way better. Right? Like I've yep. just, but but thinking back to what the product is, maybe I'm not the intended audience, you know? So yeah, break it down for us. What, how, do, how, do we, how do we do this? How, fix, help me fix myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, let's, let's take a look at some examples of how this happened. Because, okay, you know, yeah, you can yeah. be skeptical. You can be listening. I listen to podcasts. Well, that's not me. You're talking about someone else. It's the other guy. It's not me. Right. Yeah, not me. But, uh, else. <laughs> but here's examples of how we do it in the negative, but also in the positive yeah. of where we, we think our product is the best thing ever. And, oh, my gosh, and we've got this stuff. Everybody's going everybody's gonna to want it, chomping at the bit, yes. right? I've, I've heard that, too. So, yes. so, so the first one, here's an example. I'll use, I'm going to start out by using myself and my own, uh, my own failings is, you know, sometimes we're a different demographic from our audience, right? right. So uh, for me, when I started out as a copywriter, my first job out of college, uh, I was writing copy, it was even like before digital days. So I was writing, you know, print ads for uh, property in uh, just outside of Vail, Colorado. It's it called Bachelor Gulch Village. Very, very high-end property, ski in, ski out condos. The people that, that buy this are you know, very, very wealthy. So I'm sitting there and I remember presenting uh, a concept to my boss about Something it had to do, I forget, with sleeping in or waking up at 11 or something like that. And then, you know, whatever you do. And my boss says to me, these people are like CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. They're not, they're not waking up at 10 o'clock. They're waking up at like 5 a.m. And by then, you know, they've already worked out and they're yeah. checking the markets in Asia and they're this and this and this. <laughs> but I'm straight out of college. You know, in college, Casey, I didn't take a class if it happened before noon. You know what I mean? Yeah, those so are it, tough. Right. Waking up with, with an alarm clock. Can you imagine? So, <laughs> so in my pea-sized, you know, 21-year-old brain, I'm thinking, well, if I'm a rich Fortune 500 CEO, I'm sleeping in every day, right? Yeah. So, uh, right? so that's a perfect example, <laughs> right? It's a perfect example. Yeah. We're not always a demographic of our customer. We could be a different gender, different socioeconomic status, live in a different region. There are many ways that we can be a different demographic. And again, and we'll get to, and this is how testing and some of these things can help, break down that artificial barrier because it, it's hard to get into someone else's head. You know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I keep, th I had a conversation with uh, a group that was doing some marketing for the, the jet, the jet, uh, it's like timeshares for jets, private jets. Yes. You know, and, and they were kind of talking like, Hey, we're all this, we're all that. But, but one of the things I, I discovered was that, and, and you had to learn a little more about, you have some rich friends and you realize that, that, that that super rich person isn't scheduling or buying or even shopping the jet. It's more of like, hey, hey, I want this. Go and they've got that household, you know, secretary. They've got a whole team of people that are figuring it out. And and so really, the people they they're marketing to is that staff of that person. You know, it yep. was like a it was like a mind twist. They were going after the rich guy or gal. They were going after the staff, their team. Um, and they you know by missing it, they were just confusing everyone. It's weird. Right, because you don't live that life. Me and you, we buy a car, we buy a plane ticket, right? So yeah. in our demographic, we're thinking they're buying a jet. In their demographic, they're not, right, they're not even thinking of that. They're thinking, yeah. hey, my, my person, my agent, my whoever is buying it. Right, so it's, it's a perfect way to step up. And it, it's hard, hard to look at. We actually did a case study with a, a fractional jet ownership company. And so um, we had an event out in Las Vegas, and I was interviewing him there. And I was like, hey, so you fly on the, one of those jets out to, you know, Vegas to take, you know? And he's like, he's like, no, we don't, we don't get to do that, you know? But again... I mean, that, that brings up probably a whole lame. other, Too yeah, bad, right? <laughs> that would be a benefit of working on that company, but it brings up probably a whole other issue. We can go on a million divergences, but um, it, when you're not living your, your customer's life, when you're not living that experience, if you're not living that sales path, how do you really understand how they interact with and work with your product and how can you overcome that? You might not be able to fly that private jet, but then what are you going to do? Mm. So it, was, it was very famous in GM in the, in the bad old days is, um, they didn't get the car. They didn't go to dealership, buy a car, those executives. They got these special cars. They weren't getting the cars off the production line. They weren't having to go see what it's like to shop for a car and haggle and get rid of all this wow. stuff. So they're like, you know, 
and you're living in two worlds. It's like, what's wrong with it? Our cars are great. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean, we got top of the line cars. These are perfect, right? Because you're not experiencing what the customer wow, is. So again, they, that's a type they, of testing. Wow. Testing them, you know? Yeah, they like they had inadvertently or vertically like isolated themselves from the experience that all of their customers had gone through. And obviously, we know that that didn't work out well for them in the end. That's crazy. If you don't live your customer's experience, how can you optimize your customer's experience? How can you test and learn about it? So. Right. Right, exactly. You won't even well, know what questions to ask to test. Yeah, so let's uh, let's talk about another, another yeah, way we, we do this. Yeah, so um, sometimes we have a different device use preference, right? Okay. So um, I remember, uh, you know, back in probably it was about 10 years ago, you go to a digital marketing conference and iPhones were fairly new. And the yeah. speaker, the mobile marketing speaker would get up there and he'd say, hey, who's got an iPhone, right? Everyone would raise their hand. And he's like, see, everyone's got an iPhone. And in reality, it's not that everyone has an iPhone. <laughs> it's that all digital marketers have an iPhone. Right. So if your audience is digital marketers, then yes, you should right. probably have been on the iPhone in the beginning and had apps and all this stuff. If your audience is, you know, 80-year-old retirees buying Medicare Advantage insurance, or especially 10 years ago, it might be different today, I yeah. bet you they weren't on the iPhone yet. They might still have a landline at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's not, you can't just look at yourself and your peer group. I'm on this device. I've got the latest and greatest iPhone 10. You know, do you have an international audience? You know, what is it? Is it someone in India? What type of device are they using? How fast is their connection? How are they experiencing your right. How are they experiencing your product? Uh, so a great example is I got a great example. Um, I interviewed Mary Abrahamson. She's an email marketing manager at Ferguson Enterprises. And this was a few years ago. But she's, um, you know, she's a woman in her 20s, kind of artistic, a chef, cooks, so, you know, she's got like nice. a cook, cooking blog. Um, but her clients, her customers were their plumbers, right? Their HVAC repairmen. And so she was holding events for them. And she quickly learned she was going to have the events, signups, and a lot of the reminders happen on an app and happen like, you know, an iPhone, a smartphone. They weren't using them because they aren't in contracting right. sites. Those things were going to get smashed. You know, yeah. they kind of had the, the fat finger syndrome. And they were using feature phones. So she very smartly gave the updates and was able to do a lot of things through a feature phone, you know, the old fashioned type of flip phone type of thing. Yeah. Right. Instead of, Oh, I'm going to do the latest and greatest, have it on an app, have it, whatever, because no one's going to use it. You use it. I use it probably. Right. But if the plumber and HVAC person is your customer and they don't use it, it's not going to help a lot. Right. That's interesting. I remember bumping into a, a company that was, they were going after going after their, their ideal customer was a, two to five retail stores in New York type establishment. Um, it, you know, it might be like men's formal wear or, or just any kind of clothing or any kind of small mom and pop chain. So it wasn't just one store. They, they had a several stores, but you know, like the whole email thing, a lot of these people didn't even have a domain or they had a Yahoo address, but it really wasn't the best way to get them. It was like a phone call or it was like a body in their store to meet with them. And yeah, then once we made that, we kind of flipped that switch, we realized it wasn't going to be a heavy email type of a promotion at all. Right. That's a great example. Yeah. Living their life. Um, I mean, that brings up, so another one. So you yeah. talk about, you know, do they use email? Do they use, uh, you know, do you have to talk to them in person? When you're, even if you're talking to them in person, even if you find the right channel to talk to them in, do you speak their language? Right? <laughs> Because I bet those stores, they have a specific language. So someone, uh, we have an international audience and, and someone wrote me recently and they were asking for advice on becoming a copywriter. And they're saying, you know, hey, not a native English speaker, you know, can I become a copywriter? What can I do? How can I learn to be a copywriter? And so 
I told them, hey, we're all non-native in some way. When I right. started working in the software space and I started working with IBM and some of these companies, you know, I, I didn't have that experience at that time. And I had to learn a whole new language, right? You have to learn a whole new language. And, and I have a great example where, you know, we're just, we're speaking a different language than, than another group. So we were talking about testing. Uh, we were going to do some testing with Yahoo Mail a few years ago. It's when they just started uh, where they have embedded videos in the, okay. um, in the mail. And so we're doing some testing about that. And so I connected my team to the you know, person I was working with there, their team and working on it. And it, it just kept not getting done. And I, I couldn't understand why. So I was talking to them like, what's going on? And I'm like, well, you know, we told them we need the emails so we can do the testing. And they told us, no, they already did the testing. And then we're like, well, what are the results of the testing? And they said, well, here's the, you know, and it was like so confusing. I couldn't figure out what's going on. So I finally got on the line with the other, you know, uh, person, my contact at Yahoo Mail. I was like, what's going on? And so it turns out we were both using the word testing. We were just using it differently. Really? So their team was doing testing, QA quality assurance testing, right? Oh. Tested, they made sure the video it worked. They're like, we're done. We've done our we thing. We tested it. Yeah. Now, why are you trying to test it? They don't like <laughs> our job. We're testing it. We, of course, were trying to do conversion optimization testing, test to see which performed better. Testing in our world means something. Testing in their world means something, and we weren't speaking the same language. Right. This is going to happen all the time. You're speaking to, you know, again, in, in, in you know, some small retailers, sure, they have their specific language they speak. If you don't speak it, they sense an outsider. For one, they're less interested in purchasing for you. Two, sometimes it, it just different things mean different things, right? So sure. in, the, in the medical space, it's a great example. We had a, a research partner we worked with. Um, they did like kidney dialysis. Okay. I forgot the exact words, but they were using the official, whatever the medical terms for it were. But people aren't searching for this. They're searching for like kidney hurts or whatever they're searching right, for. Right, right. Got the right terms. Yeah. When you, when you nail those terms down, not only does it help with search, but it helps with conversion on that landing page. You're speaking their language. You're speaking a foreign language, even if it means the same thing. They, they don't know what you're saying, right? No idea. No yeah. idea. You know, it's interesting. I, I once worked for a company that um, in the U.S. that was sort of owned and controlled by a company from Belgium. And they decided they wanted to tell us what marketing to send our audience and one time they, they sent us a campaign saying, happy gooseberry season. <laughs> and I was trying to, look, I don't even know what a gooseberry is. I've never had one. I don't know what it is. Is that a season? Is that, and it's a thing. It's like a real thing in Europe, but it, over here it wasn't. So I was trying to chat through, like, this is not a thing, gooseberry season. But, uh, but you know, I really like is that you know, my, in my head, when you said like, can this person, a non-native person be a copywriter? I'm thinking, no way this is possible, but you're right that we were all non-native in some way with, you know, especially taking on a new industry. We don't know the terminology. It will sound just, just as non-native if maybe English was your first language. So we're all learning the language of our customer. That's really interesting. So let me ask you, right? So you have a background in the Marines, right? Yeah. So I'm sure there is a language, right? The Marines have a language. And when someone is an outsider and they're coming in and they're trying to, you know, they're marketing to you essentially. Maybe they're not trying to sell you a product, but they're trying to get on your good side and talk with you. Point. When they don't speak that language, I bet that is a red flag where you, you can all tell, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess, I guess they don't really sell too much to Marines. They just figure out oh, jarheads, you know, they'll sell them dip and beef jerky and maybe some Red Bull, but you're right. If, you know, to not see those terms or to see an ad from Navy federal credit union. And if they've got someone in an army uniform, right. If they, they're even the wrong uniform, that's not even a Marine Corps uniform. Like, what is that, you know, um, yeah. or, or, you know, worst of all sins, if they said, you know, ex-Marine or something like that, just come on. Everyone knows that 
you know, once a Marine, always a Marine. So go throw on this X around and try to get me to buy something, please. Yeah. Well, so now you're talking specifically about selling a product and that's true. Oh. Sure. But I think there's also selling an idea, right? So mm. if someone came in, into your, you know, uh, troop or whatever, and they're trying to get you involved with something, they're trying to show that they're not an outsider, they're, you know, journalist or whoever it may be, a consultant, and they're trying to say, we're one of you. Because the same thing That's happens. Here's where it often happens too. If an agency is trying to sell a client or a business, a marketing manager is trying to sell their business leader. So if you, for example, social media is a great example. If you're trying to, you go to your, you know, business manager, CMO, business level person, and you're saying, we're getting likes and tweets and engagements and blah, blah, blah. You're not speaking their language either, right? Like if you've ever been on an earnings call and that, if that leader went on an earnings call and said, we got a lot of likes this month, that's not their <laughs> language. Their language is, you know, ROI, their language is earnings per share, but you know, yeah. that's where it's important too. You know, you need to speak their language there where it's not, you're, sometimes we're just selling ideas to each other. Right. We're not only True. always selling product. Though. Yeah. Not even a product, just trying to get by. And like you mentioned troop earlier, like, Hey, it's not a, you know, it's for Marine to be a platoon. Right. So right away I'm like, exactly. Disconnect. I'm disconnect. Wait, troop. What? Who's that? Boy Scouts. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So if I came in and I was like, Hey guys, this is a great troop. We're doing good. Yeah. Be like, yeah, be like this guy. Over this here. guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but in fairness, I would have done my research first. I would have done a little test thing. I would have probably pulled you to the side first and been like, Hey, let me know here. What's am I am I speaking your language? What's going on? And that's what we're talking about with testing. Right. Really doing this first before you're going out to you know customers. Before you're sending that gooseberry email, looking like a gooseberry, right? It's kind of right. you know testing with your your customers and seeing what works. Yeah, like even you know in the movies having that you know military liaison in the movie to say that this is accurate or not, or like a scientist yeah. to say it's accurate or not, so it doesn't alienate everybody watching it. Going, that's not that's not how this would work. That's not or they 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 salute the wrong way. And you're like. You spent $20 million on this movie and you couldn't get them to salute the right way, please. <laughs> it's bringing in that native speaker or interpreter. Yeah. And for us, sometimes that's example customers talking, you know, not being right. afraid to actually have conversations and talking with example customers and showing things and feeling them out of like, how does this go? How does that go? What do you think of this or that? Or right. So uh, we did a great um, case study with Finish Line at one point and they had, do, hmm. do you know what on fleek means? Because I didn't know. On that wasn't my language. Yeah, on fleek. Like E-N, like N-fleet or on no, fleet? fleek, like F-L-E-E-K. Oh, fleek? No. Yeah, so I had no clue. And so they, they, but they did, you know, finish line, and, you know, I assume they have a pretty heavy, like, millennial and, you know, kind of younger. The, sh uh, the shoes people? Group they're selling to. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, the shoes people. And so they had an, an ad about being on fleek or something, and I, I had no idea what it meant. But some younger folks who worked here, they kind of showed me there was a meme going around and on fleek meant, you know, you're got, I guess you're, you're dressed good or, you know, yeah. on, right, you know. Yeah, but I just again, Googled it. It says extremely good, attractive, or stylish, fleek. Yeah, exactly. Dude, how so, old are we? We have no, <laughs> no idea. So that's what, it helps. So I've never it, heard that. If you're marketing to, I and mean, that's just one example, but if you're marketing to even a, a younger set, if you've got folks in your office or agency, or whatever, hey, it helps. This is the thing that's really changed in my career. I don't know if you felt this too. When I was coming up, I mean, when, when you were young, you were at the bottom. I mean, you worked your way up, right? right. The older people right. had seniority, you were trying to learn from them. And an interesting thing has happened now. A lot of the younger folks, I mean, they have uh, a knowledge and um, just a native ability to understand things that we don't with social media, with Snapchat, with some of these interactions and some of the language. Sure. And so looking at them too, also as subject matter experts in some of these things, I think is very powerful. Um, so something to think about anytime I speak at, um, colleges because I speak at you know college around here to classes especially oh, cool. social media class 
and say, this is the leg up you have, right? I didn't, I didn't have this really when I was coming up. There, there was nothing, there, was, there wasn't as much that people were trying to learn about, you know, in social media. You know more about social media than who's ever interviewing you for a job, True. right? So you need, now, you need to learn the business side or all that social media knowledge isn't going to help. True. That is your leg up, so... Yeah, that made it challenging for me because I was looking at going back and getting an MBA. But one thing I couldn't, I was like, I can, I couldn't stand if I went back and took a social media class and, you know, and and I've got like 10x the followers of the professor trying to teach me what a, a like and a tweet is. So I, I can imagine that it's a it's a benefit for the, the younger guys coming up and gals, but it can also be frustrating. And maybe that's some of the the source of where, you know, we're like, I already know that. I don't want to sit here and learn that, but. That's a tangent on millennials, but well, yeah. well but, but I mean, for us too, if anyone's got millennial on their team or pouring to them at their agency, yeah. you know, it's very easy to overlook them. But for us, that testing mindset is that we don't know everything. We're forming hypotheses. We're trying to learn. And so being open to them and seeing what you can learn. You know, I found that babysitters are great for testing uh, millennial or like younger language because uh, to, to see if my babysitter is free to watch our kids, I use Snapchat. <laughs> right and then every now and then i'll use some word uh that i think is a younger word and then you when you get the eye roll you know that that's no longer the words you know <laughs> i swear not using that in my campaign right yep that's not gonna don't, work don't that. yeah uh so let's talk about another one so okay. yep. um so there's di different day-to-day -day technologies so so i see this often so Here's an example from our, our uh, just a few days ago. Uh, we have a, a video uh, production facility here. We have a green screen on stuff. And so we're producing a video. My video guy comes to me and he says, hey, in this video, the, the scratching of the lapel on his suit is driving me crazy. It's horrible. And I was like, okay, let, let me listen to it. So I pull up my laptop. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's, it's fine. He's like, I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through. I'm going to do an audio wash. I'm going to levels. I'm going to this. I'm going to that and take all this time. So... I'm like, what are you talking about? So the difference, huh. the difference is where we're not our customer sometimes is right. my, my video guy, he's got studio monitor quality speakers. Boom. He's got crazy Bose headsets or whatever. Yeah. Right? I'm watching it. Most for audience, because we're going to put it on YouTube or whatever. I got these tinny speakers on this Dell laptop. I can't, <laughs> right. right? But if you've got all those devices, well, you can really hear it. And so we have to realize that we are not experiencing the marketing, the advertising, the website, the same way our customers do. Mm. And this is especially true if you're, so for example, if you're creating an ad in a newspaper, like you're gonna look at it, we would print it out, big color, beautiful. That's not how people see it. They see it in a busy newspaper with everything else. Not to mention, they're sitting there waiting for the subway, whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we created an ad, uh, we worked with a, a nonprofit called the Bear Fine Foundation and they, okay. they um, Try to help find missing kids. Um, they oh. put signs in, in minor league baseball stadiums as a former minor league minor league pitcher. And so when we were creating the ad, the video, we realized again we're watching in our studio, perfect screen, perfect sound, and oh. great. But yeah. then you got to realize and say, wait a minute, this is going to be played between innings in a bright stadium on right. a washed out screen. The jumbotron. parents there, yeah. the jumbotron. The kid wants to have some peanuts. There has to be. They want to leave. Get you know. It's a very distracted way of viewing it. They're not looking at it. So we can't think they're going to absorb everything we say. You know, there's things that we got to do to, you know, oversaturate it. There's things we got to do to put words on the screen. There's things that we got to do to simplify the message because they're, right. they're not going to give it their undivided attention. Um, so again, that's, that's again where the customer intimacy helps understanding how your customers are going to experience what you're showing them. Right. I mean, it's so true because if you get that wrong, you might have, 
300 words on, on the screen and no one can see it. It flashes too quickly. And you know, I, I always, that's my biggest complaint, those yard sale signs, you know, when they write with tiny, tiny, you know, size eight font and you're driving by, you're like, Hey, I <laughs> give me an arrow. That's all I really need. Give me an arrow. Tell me an, maybe an hours is a bonus, but just an arrow this way, not some address. It's cryptic. I can't see the, yeah, just understanding. And that's not really the tech side, but yeah, I, that same thing can happen if I design it on a big laptop, a big monitor, and then somebody else is seeing it on their phone. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you're looking at a billboard on your art director's big, beautiful screen, you guys are sitting there and reading. Yeah, it's great. that's not how I understand <laughs> it. So even, even right. with email. So one thing that helps with us with email, like getting more closer and more intimate with your customers is we have email. You know, we, we write them very much to people, right? Okay. So it's come from a person and we tell them, you know, we ask them, we always say in there, hey, you can write back to us. And so sometimes, you know, some people write back and they're like, where's this or where's that? And we're like, what are you talking about? You know, because we have, a, obviously you have a subject line in email, then you have the different things in there. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes we thought it was very clear that the second article is what's talked about in the subject line, but it wasn't clear to them. And so that's where you can kind of step back and be like, okay, how is, you know, what they're seeing different from what I'm seeing? What I'm saying. You know, I hate when you try to reply to an email and it's like a do not reply address. Yes. Oh, and sometimes it's feedback like hey this link's broken i want to tell you and i can't that's that's if i know you know your clients are using marketing automation platform they're doing a lot of email i've yeah. written about this before the do not reply email is the craziest thing to do it's like if you ran a, a tv ad and then you had people walk in your store for your tv ad and you just gave them the finger every person that walked in you just flipped <laughs> yeah. them off that's essentially what you're doing you boom <laughs> right you're taking, it, it blows my mind. You're taking the time to send this email to people. Yeah. People who actually choose to respond to, which is what you want. These people right. have many different options. They're very busy in the marketplace. They're choosing to respond. And you're saying, no, we, we really could care less what you have to say. Click my Don't damn link. Us. Call my phone. Yeah. Number. Yeah. So that, that's a whole, we go on tangent all day about that. But yeah, we can vent on that all day. All seven nights. Um, but so bring, I'll bring up another one. Yeah. Uh, different, different web browsers specifically. Mm. Right. So, uh, you know, one thing that was, you know, going back to the world of print and the land of print, the great thing about it was you would have that print ad, you'd have that brochure, and that was done, man. And yeah. everyone saw it when, that, when you had that brochure printed out, I know how everyone was going to see that brochure, how everyone was going to see the print ad. Now, there are so many different browser combinations and device combinations and email platform combinations. There could be so many different ways that people can experience your website. Yeah. So we, we redesigned our website a few years ago and I'm meeting with a tech team and they're saying, you know, realistically, you know, which browsers you're optimizing it for can affect what's going to be on the website. Um, and they said, okay, here are the browsers that we're using. Here are the ones where it's just not going to be the best experience for. Um, so the challenge is some of those are older versions of Internet Explorer. And if you look at our traffic, a few percent, 1%, not very much. And so the tech team logically said, hey, we're not going to bother with this group. It's only one or two percent. It's not worth it. But here's the problem: we have, as as our our clients, our research partners, we do services for. We had a lot of big banks that we worked with, and big banks tend to have older versions of Internet Explorer, right? Just because of the security concerns they have and the upgrades and all the things they have to do. Totally. Yep. So you could look at your traffic and you can say it's only one percent that's using this browser. I'm not going to waste the time on it. But if that 1% <laughs> right. is the 1% of decision makers who are going to decide to buy your product and they get an unoptimized version of your website, that's a huge mistake. So understand, again, I'm using like Chrome, I'm using Firefox, you know, that, that's probably the type of stuff we tend to use. But I understand there's a big percentage that are using the default, you know, Microsoft Edge or Explorer that's on the laptop. 
They're using older, you know, uh, versions of browsers. Understand yeah. who your customers are and what type of browsers they're using. Just because you don't use it, just because me and you don't use it, you know, right. I don't care about Explore. I don't care about IE6. Doesn't mean your customers feel the same way. You know, that's so true. Don't just believe the percentage. Hey, 89.7% of our visitors come to the website with these, these browsers. Great. But to your point, you might be leaving these other ones behind. We, we actually once worked with a client that um, they really wanted this email optimized. And, you know, it's, a, it's, it's wizardry to get all the browsers, at least all the more recent browsers to be happy. Right. Maybe some archaic ones. There's like certain emulators where you can kind of craft it, see what it looks like. But the challenge they had was they also wanted it to look good in Lotus Notes. <laughs> and pretty much the way this rolls is that you can make an email look great in every single browser on the planet, just not Lotus Notes or Lotus Notes and not every other single, right? You got to pick one or the other uh, because it's so old. Um, so it, yeah, I, I won't tell you which, which direction they went, but, <laughs> but it was uh, a major dilemma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, so at least kudos to them for thinking of it. And then that's the yeah. question of like, where are your customers? Who are your customers? Right. And who should we prioritize though? Right. Um, all right, the last one. Yes. This is, this is something that, I mean, regard, we all face this. We're, so, you know, some of those, we might, sometimes we are in the same demographic as our customers. It's not impossible for that to happen. If we no. say, I like on fleek, they might like on fleek too, you know. But we all, I will guarantee you, each and every one of us have a different view of our companies or our clients' companies than the customers do, right? We have this intimacy and understand. We spend 40, 47, 50, whatever it is, hours a week focused on our companies, on our websites, on our emails. And we experience them in a totally different way they do because we're entirely bought in. So give you a quick example of that. I was talking to um, a marketer in a nonprofit. He was a you know, marketing manager or whatever. And he you know, works on the website. He designed the way that, that they donate on the website. And uh, one of the you know, higher level, one of the people who run the nonprofit came to him and said, hey, I was trying to donate on the website and I couldn't figure out how. And he's like, what are you talking about? You know, it's right there on the website, you know? Right. So he goes, let's, he's like, come on, let's go. You know, you know, like if you ever have something with your internal IT department, I don't know about you, but I always feel like it's, they always feel like it's my fault. It's user error, right? Yes. No, totally. it can't be bright. It's you. You totally. don't know how to use it yet. Did you push the button? You need to push Mortals. You know, yeah. Yeah. Civilians. Come on. You don't know yeah. how to use it. Right. Command line prompt. Please people. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so he goes, so long story short, he goes to the guy's, you know, computer that, and he's like, okay, well, here, show me what you're doing. You know, so he goes and he's like, you know, and the guy's trying to find it and he's like, no, it's there. It's here. It's here. It's there. It's boom. It's there. And then he realized he's like, oh, wow. <laughs> he's like, I know this because I designed the whole thing and I spend every day on the website where it is. He's like, this guy even works for the company to an outsider. that's not spending all this time. going. Right. This. They don't have a clue. And so we can't look at our websites and, and our emails and all these things through our own eyes. We really have to try to look through our customers' eyes because again, they're not going to take if, you're, if they're going to your website to donate, what are they giving you? Five right. seconds, 10 seconds? They're not going to take this time to really in-depth, okay, study the website. Where is it? Is it over here? Oh. You've got to make it smooth, painless, remove the friction to make it easy for them. And on top of that, on top of that, we have this blind spot, right? Because we want them to do something. We're bought into the company on a certain level. We want them to take this conversion action. We want them to do this thing because yeah. it's our company, right? Sure. So we were working with a PR agency. We had an event and they put out this press release. We're a good PR agency, but about, it's like world's greatest marketing event is coming to Las Vegas and blah, blah, boom, blah, blah, you know? Cool. And I was like, well, thank you for stroking my ego. <laughs> and 
I certainly on some level believe it's the world's greatest marketing event because I'm putting it on. But I mean, come on, in reality here, we got to think like the customer. And when you see that, you know, your first, you know, your yeah. first thought is yes, like, right. give me yeah. a break, right? And so we really have to, we really have to do with, and we're testing helps and where the entire methodology we're going to talk about helps is step out of our own shoes, not think of what demographic we are, not think of, I would do that. I wouldn't do that. I don't care. Right. Not think of our product is the most amazing thing in the world and really say like, okay, as a customer, what do customers experience? And then getting back to our original conversation topic, that is where testing is so powerful. You can actually see customer behavior in real time. So you can't fool yourself. You can say, I thought this would work. I thought I didn't like this. I thought I didn't like that. You know, right. you actually see, oh, wow. I can get 20% more revenue by using this headline instead of that one because that's what resonates with them. Even though right. I didn't get it, that's what resonates with them. Right. Which is why it's important to even test things that are crazy because they seem crazy to you. But to, to all six of these, you may not be, not be your platform, not be your demographic, your, your own lens. It's all, all these things, all these different lenses are clouding this, uh, this testing. So yep. I, I guess with that said, I mean, where do you start, right? So I'm sold. I want to I get, get, get out of my own head here in my head space. And I want to actually think in terms of, you know, what, what's important to the customer. So where do you start? So one place you start is you said, what's important to the customer? So the first question is, well, who is the customer, mm. right? And so your product is right for the ideal customer. Your product is not right for everyone. There are people who should not buy your product. There are people who you should be marketing to. It doesn't serve them best. So who is your ideal customer? So doing, you know, there's a lot of ways you can find that out. Diving into the analytics to see, you know, who is visiting your website. You know, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, I know you work with Pardot a lot and with, uh, you know, marketing automation and CRM. Totally. The, the really nice thing about that tool is you can really determine a lot about your customers from them, right? So, mm, yeah. for example, like something I like to do sometimes, and this is just anecdotal, you can't base everything this on is, you just go into Pardot and look at a record and think about, okay, this is a person, it's a human being. It's not just a database I'm emailing. Who is right. this person? What are they doing? Okay, look at these things they visited on my site. You'd click that little button and see their LinkedIn and you know what I mean? And you yeah. really try to get a sense. Get, you you want to, again, there's this artificial wall between us and customers. How can we break that down? How can we get more intimate to know them better? Um, you know, another thing is looking at if, if you're a B2B company or trying to get leads, who are those people who are coming in and getting leads? And within, you know, uh, automation platform, you could see the pathway. Okay. They right. searched and they came in on this page and then that got them to go to this page and this page and this page. And then that got them to go here and actually sign up and want our email, you know? And so that's what you kind of want to do. You want to do that one with, with all of your, your data, you've got your analytics data, you've got transactional data. Um, mm. But also, you know, don't overlook having conversations, talking to people in customer service, talking to people in sales, talking to, you know, frontline people who are working with customers, talking to customers themselves, customers who didn't buy when you have that opportunity, um, you know, looking at forums, looking at review sites, looking at social media, you know, looking at all this stuff. What you want to get a sense of is, okay, who is my ideal customer? Who do I serve and who do I not serve? And that is the mm -hmm. very beginning of everything. So, I mean, when you are working with a company, looking in their CRM, looking in their marketing automation platform, what do you learn about a customer? How can you learn about the customer? Yeah, I mean, you learn a lot. You learn about the, the setup of, you know, do they have a sales team? Do they have marketing team? Is there one person doing everything on one of those sides? And do they talk? You know, are they working together or are they in silos? You're right. There's a lot of things you just can see from just looking at the, the setup. Are they new? You know, and it's almost like for us, there's the almost two distinct personas of like the advanced marketer who 
knows this stuff, has most of it set up, needs some help, you know, filling in the gaps, but then really wants to do the crazy stuff. Let's get into some multivariate. Let's, let's go, go crazy. And then the other uh, person is like, I'm brand new to this thing, which I've, I've been there. And it's like, I'm brand new to this thing. What do I do first? You know, and it, great. Here's what you do first, but not to confuse those two because they're in different places. Right. And so that's great. So you have, so do you, do you know, like, for example, also like who, who would be a bad fit for you as a, as a customer? Like probably B2C company, I would think maybe, or company. Yeah. Like- yeah. B2C that has like a, um, a very in- inexpensive sale, right? Because some, yeah. sometimes we'll still work with like a, like a very high consideration sale, complex, sale, yeah. a complex like a, like a university or college. Sure. That's great because you're going to spend a lot of time thinking about this really expensive decision. But, but I guess if you were selling some, you know, shoes or something that might not be on fleek. <laughs> yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's a great example too. And that also, when we get to, can help with your copy on your website, right? Yeah. Right. Or you can say, okay, here's who we serve. If you have a complex sale, B2B or B2C, we serve you. We could, you know, help you yes. do this and X, Y, and Z. You know, Hey, if you're just, you know, selling direct to consumers or, you know, we have a simple sale, you know, you, you don't want to, right? Yeah. Like that helps the customers identify who's the best fit for them and who's not. Yeah, just claim and, it. I know it's kind of weird and make you nervous to like isolate some group. It's like, Hey, we work with B2B companies. We love that, that complex sale. We love that. That's what we do. Not so much the, the, nitty gritty of like a split second decision, branded decision for B2C. It's not really our bag. Our bag is that, that nurturing, you know? And so, yeah, just putting that out there to the universe. So they're aware that if that's what they're looking for, great. Right. And then it makes what you're doing much more powerful for them. Cause then what you can do. So you mentioned your two audiences, you have like your advanced and your no vice. Yeah. So then the question is, okay, start forming hypotheses, right? Not again, doing that. What we talked about before that I wouldn't do that. I like that. This is good. This is not start forming hypotheses. Okay. What do we know about these people? What can we guess, right? So right. for the advanced people, the hypothesis might be just you know making this up, like okay, they've they've tried you know other things and have failed, so they want to know what to do next. What's the advanced thing? They've already done the basic things and succeeded. Right. They've tried other things and failed, and so maybe that affects how you write your headline, you write your copy, you write this, right? So that's one hypothesis, but another hypothesis could be that you know they've only done the basic things and now they're ready to do the next thing and they've only had success so far right right and so those are two hypotheses now how does that affect okay now let me look at you know emails and my headline and my button copy and all these things and how does it affect those messages i send out i can split it i can test it i can do those two different things and then not only do i have results then i learn about the customer i learn about you know what it it seems like you know a lot of them have failed a lot and then you know, that helps me with my product offering because maybe that changes how I onboard someone. Right. You know, it helps me with my future marketing. Got it. So we make a hypothesis. Could be this, could be this. Let's find out. Let's test Send emails or landing pages or other kind of messaging to test, see which one gets more of the, the result we're looking for. Is that, is that well, where we're going? Well, exactly. Right. And that's where you, you break it down by. So all that, that data you were looking at before, all the types yeah. of things we talked about, you're hopefully, while you're building that ideal customer set, you're hopefully learning about your customer. You're building out a picture of who that customer is, right? So yeah. when you're, if you're actually interviewing and talking to your customer, or if you're looking in your CRM and you're seeing what are the different pathways customers have taken, what pages have they visited, what topics are those about, right? If you're looking at your funnel and seeing where's drop-off, okay, it's over here, why is the drop-off here? you're starting to build a picture of those customers, right? But it's a cloudy picture. And the more then you form hypotheses and test, okay, well, they dropped off at this stage of my funnel. Is that because they think the product is too expensive? 
Or is that because, you know, we're asking for some information on the page that makes them uncomfortable, like a social security number or something, right? Well, let's see. And then you test and see, like, okay, now I know more about it. Like, okay, mm -hmm. they think the products will look expensive. Well, is that because they simply don't have the budget or is that because we haven't communicated value well enough, right? right. You know, so you go on and, and test future things. And then we can go to, there, there are different elements. So like I said, we formed this um, patented methodology over the years of yeah, with, yeah. with research partners and, and kind of getting in there individually and helping companies test to learn what works best for them. So I can break down a few of those different specific elements you might want to test and understand. Yeah, this is the uh, the conversion index, right? Yep, yep. So we have, um, so kind of like when, when we were talking before, I was saying, you know, it's very interesting. Marketing is kind of a unique group in the business, right? So the manufacturing group in the business, right? They can't get a 5% conversion rate or a 20% conversion rate and be successful, right? right? So I wear contact lenses. I happen to live very close to, I'm here in Jacksonville and the, the Johnson & Johnson's headquarters here for AccuView Vistacon and this is where they produce their contact lenses and stuff. Oh, wow. And I know it, they don't have a 50% success rate, right? I don't get up in the morning. <laughs> I don't put in one contact lens, like, it works. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I put in the other one, oh no, my eyes, you know, no. right. they'd be out of business, right? Manufacturing has a very, very, very high success rate, 99.9999. Right. They have specific manufacturing techniques, they have a methodology that has made them that successful, right? It's not right. that there's this person's good at manufacturing, that person's bad. It's like, okay, we know the methodology, we go through and we do it. And so similarly for marketers, you know, it's tended to be, this person's got the golden gut. They just get it. They understand the customer better. This person, they don't as much, right? But we formed a, a set of methodologies that you can go through. And again, it gives you a lens. You're not the customer. So it gives you a lens to be able to see the customer here. So one of those is the conversion heuristic. So it's a little probably easier to actually see it. it to see it, yeah. Fun, Looking at a bunch of calculus here on the page. I ran away from yeah. this in college and you brought it back to me. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll talk through it in a simple way. Make it, make it yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, and we'll link, we'll link to it in the, in the show notes too, yeah. Okay, perfect. I'll, I'll probably help people. But so what we're talking about is basically what we're trying to solve for is a probability of conversion, right? So we can't guarantee conversion. What we're trying to do is increase the probability of conversion by making some of these changes, right? Um, and so the first thing we want to consider, the most powerful thing um, that affects conversion is a customer's motivations, right? Okay. So we, we have that as a 4M on there. It's the most powerful thing, mm -hmm. understanding the customer's motivations, right? And so I'll give you an example. Um, there are many, so I'm a Pearl Jam fan, right? Okay. There and so there are many things that would, you know, stop you from going to a concert, right? So it could be like, there's a long line to get the tickets. There's a lot of traffic, this and that, right? The tickets are expensive and all that. So if it came to uh, getting a chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A for my daughters, right? If the line's too long, if it's too expensive, I'll just go across the street. I'll go to, you know, Subway or Moe's or whatever, right? right. But I have such high motivation to see Pearl Jam. I'll pay a lot for the tickets. I'll, you know, I'll go downtown and fight all the traffic. I will, you know, wait months for it. I will, you know, do all these, do all of these things. And so there are other things we're going to talk about that you can optimize and help improve uh, the situation for the customer. But if you understand their motivations and if you tap into them, that's the most powerful thing you can do. So when we get and talk about this ideal customer and this research and stuff like that, understanding and looking at, okay, for example, for a landing page, yeah. Who is coming to this landing page? What are their motivations? Why are we coming here? And how can we better tap into that? That's again, where you form a hypothesis, you come up with two different things, three different things. Okay, they're coming because of this, they're coming because of that. You can look at the last page they came from. You can look at, if you're driving there from, let's say a PPC ad or a display ad, you know, yeah. Facebook ad, you can, okay, what did we say in the ad that made them get here? Okay, are we tying into that motivation here? So sometimes, you know, you click on an ad, you're like, oh, it's this, I click, get there, I'm like, where the heck is that thing? <laughs> 
Right. Right. I clicked for this. I don't see it. It's not, you know, it's not clear and boom, you bounce. Right. And some, you know, sometimes one team's working on the ad, one team's working on the landing page. Yeah, so looking at what are their motivations? How are they getting in there? And then what can you test to learn about? Okay. Do I really understand their motivations and serve those motivations better? Right. Yeah. And it's, it's four. And to your point, I think I read this that because it's the most powerful that will do crazy things. Sometimes with all the other friction, even though it's crazy. I mean, I, I was either um, last uh, year or this year, I went to the Super Bowl. I just really, really, really wanted oh, to go. Awesome. The Patriots were there. And I was like, I need to be there. And it was cold. It was Minnesota. I couldn't find anyone to go with me because the, the uh, type, the number of people that are crazy enough to spend the money on the ticket, the number of people that I knew, it just, <laughs> it didn't connect. Right. So uh, I just like, I'll just go and see what happens. And, and then, you know, craziness ensued, but yeah, something just have that motivation. And, regardless of what we encounter the snow and cold weather crappy weather in minnesota and january february but yeah that makes makes a lot of sense that it's so powerful but also carrying on the reason you came here was x so let's not drop that halfway through let's not promise you something on the ad and then just totally space out on the landing page because to your point they're going to bounce yeah you want to tap in that motivation same yeah. thing with the email right understand why do they sign up for that email list email too yeah Right. What are their motivations? And then how can I keep serving them with those emails, you know, or understand even looking at what they clicked on, what they didn't. So I'm sure, you know, if you set up automation paths, right. So for example, you might have an automation path for people who opened or clicked in a specific type of email, they might get a different next email than the people who didn't click in that email. Right. So that's another thing you can do is you've got this set of emails are saying, okay, this one, well, these people clicked. Well, now let's set them up with this strip campaign. These people didn't click. Well, let's now see if they're interested in this. Oh, that's their motivation. Well, they get this different strip campaign over here, right? Um, so again, it's not thinking about, you know, me and you might be the same customers of, um, you know, a product or brand. We may have very different motivations. And if those, right. those brands can serve your motivation more directly and my motivation more directly, we're a lot more likely to keep being customers and to convert and to click through and do all of those you know, that makes a lot of sense. Like, what do you do if you only have two buyer personas? Well, I might be the same persona as you, but we may have different motivations and that may either be this, a different persona or altogether, or we just are this, you know, just different ways to approach that. And I, I love the idea of a, of a, a smart drip campaign, you know, and, and you, and you're creating it. So you're trying to suss out what are the motivations? What is driving them to take action here in case you didn't already know that from earlier. And, you know, if not this, then go to this next one. If not that, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, we even see how motivated they are, like doing a welcome campaign. And so you got, you know, four or six in the welcome campaign. And if someone has opened and clicked the first four and they're going through it a five or six, you know, by that point, you know, you kind of flag it up and like, we're going to reach out to them as humans. This is a pretty motivated person. Oh, yeah. They went through, they totally. opened, they clicked on six emails in a row about this topic. They're probably a pretty good lead. Let's just reach out as humans and, you know, totally. Uh, so it's good. It's good being able to, and again, you know, automation can really help with that. Your analytics platform can help right. with that by testing. You can discover what their actual motivations are. Um, so, but the second element we talk about is the value proposition. Okay. All right. So the motivation you can't control, you can't change. That's inherent in a person. That's a good you're point. trying to discover it and you're trying to tap into it. The value proposition, that's where you come in, right? You're helping to set the value proposition for your company, for your product, for all these different things. And so the value proposition, no matter how we talk about ideal customer, that's so important yeah. to understand ideal customer. The value proposition is powerful for an ideal customer. The same value proposition that is powerful for this ideal customer is not going to work very well for that customer who is not ideal. So the value proposition is the answer to the question, if I am your ideal customer, why should I buy from you instead of any other company, right? 
Yeah. Um, so again, I buy your ideal customer. So for example, for you, if you said, you know, because for the complex sale, we do X, Y, and Z, right? Well, to the person who doesn't have the complex sale, that's not a very powerful value proposition. Right. But again, good. That, that's We're good. okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to sell him anyway. He shouldn't right. be my customer. He should go right. with now. Um, so then the important elements of the value proposition, this is a really good thing to test. So what we tend to do with um, our partners and with our services is we have an actual value proposition workshop where we kind of get everyone in the same room. After we've done a lot of background research to um, kind of help get an understanding of the company, the marketplace, it's very important to understand competitors. We get a lot of the key decision makers in the room. And it's very interesting when you do this, right? Um, and then we're trying to look and break down what could the value proposition be? Because ultimately you want to test it, one decide right. by testing. But first, you, there are four elements to it, a powerful value proposition that you want to understand. So one is the appeal, right? To be appealing, that means someone sees it and yes, they want it, right? right. Obviously, if it's not appealing, it's, it's not going to mean much. But a lot of companies, they kind of tend to stop at appeal, right? They put out, huh. again, world's best marketing summit. Right. That's very appealing, right? But if you stop there, I don't think anyone's buying. Right. The other element is credibility, right? So something is very appealing, but it's not very credible, not a lot of people are going to buy, right? So I've been definitely, you know, earlier in my career, working with marketers or clients and stuff, and they say this and this and that, you know, about their brand. Because, you know, again, as we said before, one of those things is we have a different view of our company and our brand than, than people than do. Our, it, yeah, it, than they do, yeah. Do these great things. And I'm like, well, I agree. But, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, are people really going to, like, why, why should people believe this? Why should they buy into it? So. I was uh, early in my career starting to work with a startup and, you know, startups are, are great. There's just great energy in them. And they're, we're going to take on the world. We're going to conquer yeah. the world. We're the best thing ever. And so when I was coming on, they told me, okay, you welcome to join, you know, as a consultant. And they're like, but you got to understand this one thing. We're going to change and transform our industry and transform the world and blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, <laughs> I said, I have to think the opposite. I was like, well, I hope that happens. I have to think who the heck cares about you guys. Cause I've never heard about you. Because right. every customer and potential customer you're about to reach out to isn't thinking, these are the people who are going to change the world and take on Microsoft and Google. Right. Thinking, yeah. who, who are these jokers? Right. Right. And so, and so that's what you have to overcome. And that's where that credibility okay. comes in. So you got the appeal, but why? Why is it credible? And one thing that can help is some quantification you bring in, right? So you got can it. show. It's one thing I can tell you. Um, for example, if you're selling a building, I can tell you we have high-end finishes and you know the nice building and whatever. Or I can tell you, you know. We bought the building, we spent $3 million on the finishes alone to upgrade them. Hmm. And then you can come to that resulting conclusion. And I'm not forcing it on you, right? I'm not trying to say, believe this, it's, it's really nice. You come to that conclusion based on the data you're given, like, well, they spent $3 million on the finishes. There, there are some pretty nice finishes, right? Right. Um, so that's something you want to look at, how you can communicate in a way that, that customers accept it. Not that they're being like, hey, well, I, don't, I don't believe you. Um, so the two other elements to get in real quick are- Sure. No, that's really- clarity. So if, if you don't clearly understand what you're saying, doesn't, none of this matters, right? It's not going to be appealing or credible. So sometimes, uh, sometimes our marketing messages are over clever by half. They're, you know, again, the on fleek thing, you send it to the wrong person. It's, it's super clever. It's like, Done. Uh, what are they even talking about? Right. <laughs> right. Um, so the, the clarity is important and the exclusivity. So you could have a very appealing, incredible value proposition to be clear, but if everyone else has it in the market, you know, we call that a commodity, right? So where, what's exclusive, what's different about you, right? And so then, so we do in a workshop is you get together, you, you get all this, get the key people on the board. It, it's, it's fun. When you really do it well, you get these really healthy debates, different people, they disagree on yeah, it. Yeah, I like it. 
Yeah, so I did it with one group and, uh, you know, the, the, the guy that sold sponsorships, you know, was sure that, you know, that sponsorships were key to the company, right? And the person did the technology is like, well, no, our technology is the most compelling. And, of course. You know, get everyone on the same page because if they're not on the same page after they leave the room, they're going to take the company in different ways. And then you test these, right? You test yeah. these different value propositions out there. You test them in your email. You test them in your landing page and you see, we think this is a valuable, valuable proposition, you know, valuable value proposition. But what do our customers think, right? Right. You know, it's funny because none of that was coercive. And I was just writing an article the other day about the um, self-determination theory and human behavioral psychology because we had a guest on here who, who had a bunch of scientists who were just helping her use human psychology. And one of those is just the, the element of control. We don't want to feel like we're being controlled or coerced to make a decision. And, and you know, in the credibility, the fact that you just, here's a number, make the decision yourself. You know, we did X, Y, and Z. We have 30 people that are all certified in this in Pardot. We make the call. Are we really experienced? You're damn right. But instead of me just telling you, you're, you know, you're a big kid. I'll let you make up your own mind, you know? Exactly. When you, yeah. when you try to force something on someone. So I will say this is my flaw as a parent. Yeah. <laughs> right? You, yeah. force it. Like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, try I to know. tell you. Um, when you try to force someone on that, they're going to resist. We're gonna, we have free will and we're generous <laughs> people try to force us to continue. But when you lead them to it, when you say like, hey, let me present the evidence to you. Here's the data in a way. You're making the decision. You know, yeah. they accept it themselves. And then sometimes they defend that decision. They, they own it and they say, wait a minute. You know, I really believe in this. Let's, let's move it forward. The best thing, you were talking about um, a plane company where you have the, the, you have the influencers and the decision makers, it sounds right. like, right? So the uh, assistant or the agent, whoever is the influencer is actually going to pick the plane company. And then the, probably the rich person, whoever is actually buying, they're actually deciding to buy it, I would assume, right? right? So when you're getting those influencers on board, it's common in a B2B or complex sales situation. You want them to have sold themselves in a way so then they can actually sell that decision maker and be on board. So you're not, you're not forcing on selling them. They've accepted it enough where they're like bought in and then they're with you and they're going to the decision maker. Those are the, those are the best you know, B2B sales I've ever been in. When totally. you've got... Those people on your team with you, like, yes, you, we got these guys. This is what we got to do. We so. got to do this, guys. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. You know, yeah. not just, well, I met these guys. They have something interesting to say. Hear them out. It's like, no, this is something we need to do. Go ahead, Casey, take it away. You know, it's like, whoa. That's right. Crazy. Yeah. Because when you did that, they had sold themselves. They had accepted yeah. it and they had sold themselves there. You know, if That's they were just like, Oh, what'd you tell me again? Why are we supposed to do that? Oh yeah. So he said, we, Casey said we should do this. And no, no, they were like, Hey, this is why I think we should do it. Totally. Totally. You, you mentioned the kids thing. Uh, I'm with you on that one because my daughter is a little bit older and you know, Hey, bedtime, you can brush your teeth, put your PJs on, out the bed. All right. You know, boo, 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 it's all good. Right. My son, uh, a little different. I don't know who he inherited this from the, the, <laughs> the jury's out on this one, but what we found recently with him was, helpful was we were saying like look uh, hey dude um I, you have three things brush your teeth put your pjs on and clean your room which one do you want to do first yeah. <laughs> and he's like i'm gonna put my pjs on first like, okay that sounds great and then after that i was like what do you want to do next he's like i'm gonna clean my room I'm like okay all right great but to your point just you know i don't even know how that connects to marketing but it just it was yeah. it, it was working you know and it wasn't coercing it wasn't telling him because for his type that wasn't that wasn't working you know it's perfect you gave him free will in the situation yeah right and he got to control and he got to decide and he sold himself on okay the thing i should do is put my pjs on it's the same as adults so let me tell you 
I, uh, and you probably remember this too. There were, the phone company was a monopoly, right? So I had yeah. here, here in Jackson, we had Bell South and you know what? They could have been good or they could have been lousy. I couldn't really tell, but it just ticked me off that I had to have Bell South. Right. So the second Vonage came out and that, you know, VoIP phones came out, I yeah. switched to Vonage just because I made the decision. Right. And so even like, you could sit there and you could be a marketer in a monopoly company and you're thinking like, well, we got a good thing going or duopoly or like a small, you know, yeah. like that. And you think we got a good thing going. People don't have a choice. People always have a choice. And sometimes technology is eventually going to unbottle that choice. And you are going to, you know, cable companies are facing that now too. Cable companies, man. And, I can't wait. Yeah. And you did not serve that customer. You did not give them a choice. They were not bought in and boom, you are losing them left and right. You know, uh, one time I, I went off to work and, um, we had some issue with cable and, and uh, my wife was like, oh, she was going to call them. And so when I, but when I got home that afternoon, we didn't have cable anymore. I'm like, what happened? She's like, well, the person, the per I didn't like what the person was saying on the phone. So I just got mad and said, cancel it. <laughs> like, Oh no. <laughs> All right. And then eventually, you know, but I had to go back on it cause it is only one option or at least there was at the time. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, so here's, here's another one cool. through, that you got to think through in testing is incentive. Guys, so, so this is the 2IF part of your... 2I minus F, yeah. And it's yeah. important there because incentive, so incentive is the element that is most used and abused by marketers. Oh, uh, yeah. So, you know, because when you think about it, you got a goal to meet, you got to, you know, I got so many leads this month, whatever. Well, let me just throw an incentive on top there. Hey, you get, you know... Not, you know, meet our sales rep and you get a free $50 gift card or free shipping, you know, whatever it is. And so um, I like to call incentive the bacon of marketing tactics because so here's a quick cooking tip. I'm allowed to cook, but you can have a plain kale salad. You can have the most worst thing. Yep. Throw bacon in it. It's going to be better. Right. Yeah. So that's what marketers do. They don't really understand the customer motivation and they don't have a good value <laughs> proposition. And well, I got to get some leads in here. Let me just throw some incentives out there, right? right? Hey, sign up for our white paper or webinar. You can win a free iPad, right? And so the problem with incentive is, is I think a great example, if you remember American car companies before the crash about 10 years ago, they would say, you know, like Chevy, GM, you know, yep. buy our car, we'll pay you $3,000, you know, buy our car, we'll pay you $5,000, $6,000, you know, cash back, you know. Right, they still have that. Yeah. Well, shockingly, they went, you know, bankrupt. We had a bell mountain. Maybe they're heading there again because it's not an effective long-term sustainable tactic. No. Right? When you look at the car company, so I'll use Tesla as an example. And not that they don't have their issues with production, but marketing-wise, they have created such a powerful value proposition, right? They've pre-sold cars, 400,000 cars, before they could even make them. Right. Right. That is far more profitable. Pretty, pretty baller right there. On right. fleek. <laughs> it's on fleek. Elon Musk is on fleek. So yeah, that, is. you get higher margins. It's more sustainable than how much can I bribe these customers with incentive? Yeah. Now, doesn't mean you shouldn't use incentives, but it should just be that little extra thing that tips people from being negative to being positive. So when you talk about yeah. friction, that we're going to get in a second of friction anxiety, those are those negative elements right? What's that just little extra thing people need when they buy into the value and the motivation? You know, they're on the fence a little bit with that little extra thing to tip them over. And that's right. how it's, we recommend using incentives. Sorry. I say instead of yeah. making it the main course, right? Unless it's me, you know, on the weekend with my son, no one's around to tell me no, when I eat nothing but bacon for breakfast, it's not <laughs> lunch, right? It's not lunch and dinner. Right. So exactly. There's a good we're overusing it, the bacon. And at some point you don't want any more bacon. Well, I don't know if that yeah. happens, but it, you, you're not going to, 
go to a restaurant and be like, yo, just give me, you know, 90 slices of bacon. That's just <laughs> right. not happening. But that's probably what we're doing as marketers, right? Hey, hey, we, we haven't proved anything. There's no value prop, no motivation, but here's a discount. Right. You know? Exactly, exactly. Discount so, on what? And this is where testing can be so powerful, right? Where you can test. Yeah. So if you, you've got that value proposition nailed down, you see like, okay, what is a five or 10% discount? What is it different? Like, how does, what does that do to conversion? What does that right. do to help me out to tip it? And then you see too, ultimately one, what you want to see is that ultimate ROI. What is my return on incentive? Yes. Right? What am I getting for that incentive and making sure that, you know, you got your margin there, you still got your profits there. And that's where testing can help out. Makes sense. Um, so, so those are positive elements. So the more incentive value proposition, more tied to motivation the more likely people are to convert. But there are negative elements too. So anytime we're looking, if it's to open an email, to click in an email, to sign up for an email, to go to a landing page, there's a subtle kind of calculation we're doing. Where we're saying the value outweigh the cost, right? Yeah. And this isn't just money, right? Because if you click on an email, it doesn't cost money. Right. But does the value outweigh the cost for this action? So those are the positive elements that would say more value, but they're the negative elements you want to reduce the cost. And one of those costs is friction. Interesting. Right? Yep. So the, the more difficult you make your process. So for example, for the B2B lead gen marketers, you know, you're out there, you got your, your part out form, let's say on your webpage. Yeah. Um, how many fields do you have in that form? And what are you asking for? Right. Right. That's friction right there. Totally. You ask for just, you know, first name and email address. You will likely get a lot more than if you have 20 fields in there, you're asking yeah. for their phone number. Fa- I don't want to ask for their fax number. You know, what's their annual revenue and all these things. Mailing address. <laughs> right. So the more friction you have in that form, the less likely people are to convert. Now, here's the rub, right? The more friction you have, probably you're going to have better leads, higher quality leads going through there. Because remember, those are the people that have the motivation to go through that friction. Right. Right. The, the less friction you have, you probably have lower motivated leads. If I just have to put my name and email address, I might not care that much, but you're not asking for much, right? If I got to put all these things in, well, I'm not that motivated. So what we call, we think of it as two dials, right? Mm, there's yeah. quantity and quality so if you dial up the friction you're going to dial down the quantity but you'll probably dial up the quality so you got to think of you know in probably some of the firms you work with you know how how human is the sales process you know how many sales reps do they have how much do they want to have a high touch sales process they've got tons of sales reps that they want to have interacting with customers a lot well you can you know have low friction you get tons of leads in there and then they're dealing with them maybe a lot of bad leads but you know that's that's the model you're going with if you have very few sales reps, you want some very high quality leads, I'm going to dial the friction up really high on that. And then you only got like the few best coming through. Um, and again, this is a great thing to test. Yeah. Test different fields, test five, seven or nine fields, you know, test which forms you put in there. Do you need the phone number? Do you not? And, and when you talk about the marketing sales organizations, really working with that sales organization and seeing, they ask for the phone number on there. Do they need it? Are they using it? You know, right. Because if not, perhaps you take it off the form. We bump into that all the time. People asking questions of things they don't even need to know, not realizing. And, you know, everyone has stats on this. Uh, Sirius, HubSpot, Marketo, Parta. They've all done the stats to show that, I mean, it's wild. It's something like 1% to 3% sometimes. It can be the, the, the decrease in conversions you get with every new field you add on there. And, you know, and we bump into people oftentimes at the beginning where they have 12 fields on there because, your marketing had a few things they wanted to know. Sales had a few things they wanted to know. And they thought it might be good to know the zip code. We're not going to use that for routing. But just in case we ever need to know that, it might be good to know. And then you end up with these gigantic forms. And then at this point, the friction outweigh outweighs everything. I see that. I'm like, I'm not filling that thing out on principle. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. Um, 
And then the last piece to consider the other negative is anxiety. So um, sometimes it's not this, the amount of things you ask for, but it's like what you ask, for example. So you could have one field on there. If that field is, you know, my first name, or if that field is my social security number, I probably have a different reaction, right? Right. They so have a lot more anxiety with your social security number. And there, there's other elements of anxiety in the process, you know, anxiety of, okay, are you really going to deliver what you say you're going to deliver? If I put my phone number on there, are you going to be, you know, calling me all the time? If I put my email right. address, are you going to spam me? me? Yeah. You know, so what elements can you test to reduce anxiety in there? Interesting. Yeah. Like those disclaimers that say, look, we don't spam. We're not going to share your information or like the idiots I bumped into the other day who were like, what's your, um, what's your annual income, your personal annual income? Who are you? Go. Away. It was a required field. So that didn't work out very well. But yeah, I mean, the anxiety went boop, through the roof. Like, <laughs> why are you? We just met. <laughs> You're asking to marry me in some way. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example. And let's say, you know, so I agree with you, but let's see, let's say you do need annual income for some reason that you some absolutely reason. have to have it. Then tell them why, like, you know, right. the reason we have annual income here is because we have three different levels of financial planners and we want to know which financial planner to assign you to, right? So that may or may not, and that, again, that's a test. I'm not saying that will work. That's yep. maybe something you test and say, okay, does that reduce the anxiety enough that's worth keeping there? Or to your point, we just met, maybe that's month two of right. them, you know, maybe that's an automated send month two once they've been on the list or something like that. Right. You know? Or maybe that's if you use progressive profiling, for example, totally. maybe that's step three of a you know, series of progressive profiling forms, you know? So. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, thinking back, they, they used it to figure out if you're in like not qualified in sort of this junior class or the senior class. So in my head, I'm thinking maybe you could have just asked brackets yeah. above this, below this. And to your point, here's why, you know, that's brilliant. If I had seen a little thing saying, look, we're going to ask you this. Don't worry. We don't, this never comes up again, but this is to let you know which program you might be interested in. Okay. Well, cause then it shifts. So what they're doing is they were very me centered, right? They're focused on them. Like we said, it's, it's that, right. that problem. We have a different view of the company than they do for us. Those leads are so important and it's very important that we qualify them there. The customer could give a crap, right? They don't care about your leads and where you get it all. You have to shift that focus from, okay, does the lead have to be here, here, here? So, okay, let me test. What would be best for the customer? Is it best for the customer that I ask that to help put them in the right place and they know that? Or is it best for the customer that I don't ask that, that yet? You know, again, it's a third progressive profiling form that they get and I'm serving them over time until they see the value. In it. Totally. Totally. I love this. I love the idea of just being able to just test things too. Uh, one thing I want to ask you about is the idea of, you know, statistical significance, the idea of if, if when I'm testing, are there number criteria I need to meet? And can those numbers trick me? I, I've seen a lot of folks make decisions off of like 10 responses. You know, what's your take on that? Maybe just break that down. Yeah, so that's a great point. So what we're just very, very simplify what we're trying to do when we're running an experiment or testing is we're saying, okay, we see this small slice of the world. Does it really represent the entire world? Right. right. So we're essentially doing a sampling. So we're not saying that this happened or not. What we really want to understand is what is our customer and human behavior? What can we learn from them? So does this represent that? So there, there are some things that we call validity threats to make sure you're on a valid test. So one is the numbers. Let me mention a few others before yeah. we get to the numbers. So one of them is called history effect. So if something happens in the passage of time to affect the test. Um, so for example, uh, you know, if, if um, we, let's say I have a, a, a tourism site that uh, sends people to Egypt, you know, for tourism. Nice. And so 
But then we run a test, and during that test, there's a big news story about a terrorist attack ninja or something like that. Mm. So then I have to question, well, is that really a valid test? Or did something happen that's outside of the test that really changed people's, their, just their overall motivation in that time period, in that week for Egypt? Maybe a month later, they forget about it, Makes right? Sense. So one of the things is we have to see like, okay, what's going on history-wise? Um, there's another element called the instrumentation effect. So if we see numbers in a platform, it doesn't mean that that's the thing that actually happened, <laughs> right? So at the basic level, you have to make sure your instrumentation is working correctly. So one thing that can happen, for example, let's say you have two different pages, let's say maybe a mobile test, and this page has some very big images and it loads slowly, right? And so maybe the difference isn't what's on the page, there's an instrumentation effect, this page loaded a lot more slowly so people didn't use it. So one way you can overcome that fact is run what we call a double control. So mm. you essentially run a split test, but you, it's two of the same thing. And so you're just trying to get a sense of like, okay, is everything working okay? Right. Um, and just understanding too, what's going on on your website. You know, for, for that specific example, you want to run some like site load tests to see if there's a different site load between the two different pages. Um, so another thing to keep in mind is selection effect, right? So it's not enough mm. to have two groups. Those two groups should be random, right? So if you said, for example, this would be the, the worst selection you could do. Okay, everyone who's a hand raiser is going to get this email. Mm. And this email we're going to send to the list we bought, you know. Right. And then which copy worked better? Ooh, the copy to the hand raisers. Well, did it work because that copy was better or because those were different people? When we talked about motivation, the hand raisers probably had a higher motivation yeah. than the group that, you know, the, the blind list. So um, what you can do, fortunately, you can do it in uh, you know, a, a platform like Pardot. You can yeah. randomly split into you know, two different lists, make sure it's a random split of those lists and you know, it's, it's true randomness. And so the effect isn't that the populations are different. Got it. Um, but the last thing is, you know, as you talked about, this you know, statistical significance. So um, there's a lot of math involved. So there's not like a, a specific number I can give you, but I want to explain right. the, the factors that you have to determine, right? You can Google what, the math, right? Yeah, well, I mean, and we have uh, like testing tools and stuff. We can even oh, maybe cool. I can send you a link where you yeah, can like we'll link to them. plug in the different numbers because you have to kind of predict. Okay, so I'm going to tell you the factors that that would that would be involved in it. Sure. Um, so um, one is the difference in two things, right? So if you have let's say um, a one percent conversion rate and two percent conversion rate, you're going to need more people to figure out if it's different than if you have a one percent and a twenty percent conversion rate. Interesting. Right? The bigger so, the result change the delta but the bigger the the dramatical increase or decrease in the number um the less the less um samples you need. need right but but as that gets smaller now you're going to need to see a lot more that's interesting okay yeah because think about it like um flipping a coin and you yeah. want to see if it's a fair coin if you flip a coin 10 times right and nine times it lands on heads well maybe it's kind of weighted towards heads right right but if you flip a coin 10 times and six times its head and four times its tails, mm, that's maybe more likely it's going to be random, right? Right. So what we're trying to do with statistical significance is we're trying to fight randomness. Because again, remember, we're trying to see that this group, we're, we can never test with the entire population. That would be impossible. We can never test with you know, everything that could possibly happen. We're, we're just taking right. this sliver. We want to say this sliver represents everything else. But sometimes random events happen right? True. So the black swan events, different things happen. And we're trying to see if that didn't happen. So one, you want to see the, the difference between the two things. The other thing is the sample size. It's how many people it goes to. So for example, if you're, if you're just emailing to a hundred people, 
you know, you're probably a lot less likely to get uh, a significant sample size than if you're emailing to, you know, like 100,000. So there's a difference in there, probably around 10,000 or so where you, where you get enough people that you're, you know, it becomes valid. But again, that comes down to the statistical math. We've got a tool sure. I can, you know, I can send you. Um, and the last factor you want to understand is um, the level of confidence. Hmm. So uh, what we recommend is a 95% level of confidence, right? Okay. So when we talk about certain safety things or manufacturing or drug testing, that could be 99.9999% level of confidence, right? Right. But the higher level of confidence you want you to have, you need more samples more and samples. bigger difference, right? Yeah. So when you're talking about a business decision, you know, the risk is probably lower than, you know, someone dying in a plane crash, right? Right. So 95% level of confidence is pretty good where you're pretty sure that this happened and it's not randomness, but it's also low enough that it's realistically achievable. You could end up getting, you know, it's not a magic number. You could end up getting 93% or 91%, and then you're still making a business decision. It's still better Make than the you call. Can, yeah. Right. And saying like, okay, this is close enough. We, we think this probably happened. Um, and the challenge of all this is you could run a test. And you could see numbers in your platform and you say, this was 10%, this was 8%, 10% is better. But this is where your eyes deceive you, right? right. So I like to give an example of um, when, when, you know, it sounds like you have kids too, right? So yeah, totally. Yep. my kids, so put them in car seats and all that stuff. And so <laughs> my mom's talking to me, she's like, oh, you're crazy. She's like, when you were kids, you guys didn't have car seats. You just right. run around in the back seat and you're still alive. Right. And so, you know, that got me thinking of like, well, what you're saying is true, right? You can't, you can't argue that's true. That's like, true. We don't have car seats. We are still alive today. And then right. I'm like, but, but it's not though, right? And so why can't I believe my eyes that that's true? And then I realized the difference is sample size. So my mom had a sample of two. She had my sister and me, right? <laughs> we floated around the backseat, never died, right? So from her learned observation that you don't need car seats. Right. When you look at the statistical, when you look at the studies, once you get to a statistical sample size across enough people, you see, okay, enough times it's going to happen where they're going to get in a car accident, they're going to get hurt. When you AB split test it, it's less likely to happen if they're in a car seat that they're going to get hurt, right? Right. So that's what can happen. Our eyes deceive us, right? And that's where we have yeah. to go to the math and understand, you know, the statistical sampling size and understand, okay, this actually represents the real population. Right. And I think I remember like a Freakonomics either a podcast or a show was on this where they, you know, you know, the Freakonomics guys, the economists. They, yeah, I interviewed uh, Stephen Dubner. Yeah. Did you see? You, there you go. You really oh, yeah. know them. So they yeah. did a, They did a, like an episode on the, the, the car seats and apparently it oh, is, really? it, yeah, it is helpful and it, it does increase safety right up into toddlers. And when it gets to toddlers, Apparently, it doesn't matter anymore. By the way, anyone listening to this, go look it up. Don't quote me. Um, don't put your child not in a seat or in a seat. Anyways, refer to Freakonomics. But, but they, 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 they found that, that those didn't matter as much. Now, my kids are a little bit older, but we still have them in like boosters. But in the back of my mind is Dubner and friends over at Freakonomics said that that is basically to make mom feel better. But early on, when they were really strapped in there, that was, that was actually helpful. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating to your point. You can't just what you're looking at and your sample size of you and your friends or, you know, you just, your kids. Yeah. Well, so you bring up a great point. So here's another point is you can statistically learn something in a test and learn that it's true. Like the toddler seats, but yeah. you can decide that's not right for your brand or you're not comfortable with it. Right. Right. So there are definitely times we test with a company and we find this would work better with that, but then they also have to make a choice. 
Like, what is their value proposition? What is their brand? And does that work for them or does it not? Kind of like, you know, with your toddler, you know, yeah, the numbers tell us this, but this, this doesn't work for us. We still want the toddlers in the car seats. You know, you're deciding what your value proposition is. Yes, this could work, but it's not who we are. We're deciding not to do it. Right, right, right. Making that call. Mm-hmm. So this has been really cool, man. Who are you? How did you acquire this this amazing knowledge set? And, and just, I mean, you, you seem very plugged in to all, all of the numbers and to testing and all of this. Well, I've been fortunate. So I've been at MechLabs Institute here for nine years. And so um, it's a lot of fun what we do. I mean, we're a teaching and learning organization. So we're learning every day. And then we get to go on podcasts like this and, you know, yeah. Um, so that's been very, so that's how I learned, you know, a lot of this stuff specifically. And, you know, we get to see how you know, we work directly with um, big companies. We also work with startups and working with them and testing and seeing what works with their audience. And then not just to test and learn to with our audience, but to learn about customer behavior, to come right. up with some of the methodologies we, we talked about and then to be able to teach it. So that's, the, that's a super exciting thing. And did you start out when you were like 12, were you like, let me, let me go, you know, sell raspberries in the neighborhood and, 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 or observe people doing this and that, like, where did all this come from? You know, take me back. It was gooseberries, actually. I imported, be- <laughs> I imported Belgian gooseberries and went door to door and said, it's gooseberry season. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I knew it. I knew they were elsewhere. <laughs> uh, well, I think two, probably two of the formative, when I look back, yeah. um, two of the formative things have probably got me here in a way. Um, were one of them. I remember when, you know, it was like uh, enrollment day at college and I went to the University of Florida and it's a big school. There's like a hundred majors or 200 majors and I'm trying to decide on a major. Yeah. Geez. And, you know, my heart was in film. I really wanted to do something creative. Um, but I wanted a job. After, <laughs> you know, Like my mom hadn't gone to college. It was a big deal for me to go to college. I want a right. job coming out of here. And right. so I was like, well, business is probably the responsible thing. So then I saw advertising. I was like, well, this kind of splits the difference. You know, it's like, yeah. You, you, you get, you can get a job when you get out, but you get to be creative. And so I'm very fortunate. I'm, you know, like over 20 years in now and uh, to have a career where you can do something creative, you know, with, with your creative skill set, it's just, it's super fun and fulfilling. And, you know, so what I do now and, you know, creating content and teaching about marketing and learning about marketing, there's a a fun creative element to it. Yeah, totally. Um, I think the other element too, you know, thinking back is, um, so when I came back freshman year, I uh, came back home, you know, I had to work over the summer to make money to go back and yep. uh, you know, living where I did in Daytona, there weren't a ton of good jobs, you know, for some, you know, a college student over the summer. And so one of the best paying ones was uh, being a telemarketer. Yeah. So, uh, so my job was I would call people and try to get them to um, go to an appointment to learn about timeshares. Hmm. Um, and then that was a separate thing, right? This is the sales process where they worked. There was someone else at the, you know, that sell them on the timeshare there or whatever. And so, um, you know, so I went there and, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience in any of this stuff, but I'd go, there's a script and the way the script roughly worked was, you know, first you do a qualifying call, but then, um, it's along the lines of, Hey, you want a trip, you know, you want a trip to, I'm in, <laughs> and the woman who trained me was just very good with a sweet voice. I'm in beautiful, sunny Florida. I just went to the beach this morning and you want a trip to Florida and you have know, four days and three nights and even mm-hmm. a red lobster gift card and all this stuff. And so, uh, you know, it was done in a legal way. Well, I don't think they actually said win, but, you know, they got, got that across. And so it kind of never, it didn't really resonate with me or feel quite right because that's not, I didn't really win a trip. And so I just started kind of going off script and just being really straightforward and, and awesome right. and saying like, hey, here's the deal. I work for this company. They sell timeshares. 
if you want to go and listen to this thing for 90 minutes, they're going to give you free hotel stay in Florida. Um, and if you don't want to do that, I understand not everyone does, it's, you know, wow. and so, um, the interesting, so, so, and it, it and so honest and transparent. Well. Yeah. Well, I guess to kind of where we are today, where we talk about customer first marketing, where we're trying to talk about right. discover your ideal customer, tell them, you know, how you serve them, tell them how you don't serve them and let them decide if it's a right fit for them. Don't force it on them. Let right. them decide it's, it's a right fit for them. Cause the, cause the funny thing happened, cause um, so the way that the actual process worked, you know, if you got, I think four shows in a week, then you got a bonus. Um, and I was, I was in the bonus like every week that summer nice. because what, what they had to do is they had to go to the thing. Um, and then so on the phone with them, you booked an appointment, but then they actually had to show up to the thing and then get through there. And then that's how you got paid. If there were a no show, you didn't get paid. Really? Wow. Right. And, and so I realized I could, and a good telemarketer could convince them on the phone to make the appointment. I could get you, you would not get off the phone without making an appointment. Totally. Um, but then in a few days you'd realize what the heck happened. I'm not yeah. going to that. So it worked a lot better. And it, this kind of felt ethically right is I tell you what the deal is. You sold yourself on it. I was like, Hey Casey, here, here's what it is. You show up to this, you get this works for some people. Some people love it. Some people are like, I would never do that. Which are you? And then yeah. a lot of people are like, that's not me. Goodbye. That's fine. Cool. I don't need you. You're not my ideal customer. You saved five minutes or 10 minutes from talking to the person who's never going to do it. See, exactly. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. Even with their marketing, they're spending all this time on people that aren't going to buy their product. It's a waste of time. So I had that shift. I had a certain amount of time. Why am I talking to this person who's never going to buy? I could force them to try to convince them. So, so anyway, long story short, you know, I went through a lot of people, but I got the people who are like, yeah, I'd do that. And yeah. they had a very high percentage of showing and, you know, and then I ended up getting paid and I just kind of learned it. I mean, it was something I learned in an early age, which more kind of, especially here with research, I figured out is that element of customer first marketing, deciding who your customer is, who it isn't, and then presenting them, you know, an honest way of, of, right. of understanding your value. Um, it's very effective because like we were talking about earlier, then they're like, yeah, that's a fit for me. Not right. I was forced into this and like with a lead, I'm going to drop out in the middle anyway, because I never wanted to do this. And you just talk me into it. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. It, like not coercing people at this point, but just actually just being straight with folks. You know, and it, it sounds like you were actually experimenting from an early age. You know, you, you were doing sales and marketing experiment. You were, you were doing what you're do, doing now, but just from an early age, it, but it takes someone to be like heads up enough. Like I could just make these calls, go through the routine, but, but you're like, look, this is, this is getting a little boring and this feels a little greasy and slimy. So what can I do? you know, to help people out and all the same time, you know, be a little more successful and have, learn, learn something here. And you did from, from that kind of experience. That's really cool. I'm glad you say that. Cause you know, here's something I thought is if only we had AB testing in real life, you yeah. know what I mean? Because the great thing when, when we talk about AB testing, again, it, it can sound so boring, but it's a great chance to say, well, well what if with reduced risk too, cause you're only doing it to a certain set. So when you think about all those key decisions you made in your life, like, what am I going to do after high school? You know, who am I going to marry my high school sweetheart or, you know, the girl I met later, or should I buy this car or that car? Or, you know what I mean? Totally. Could you imagine? Cause, and I look back too. you know, I bought this car and you know, I, I went to this school, I did whatever. And I look back and I'm like, was that the right decision? I'm like, well, it kind of seems so, but, but it was not an AB split test. I didn't see no. an alternative. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what you could do with marketing, especially with digital marketing. You could say, Hey, what if, 
you try these things out and you see, well, that one did work better than this one, you know? Right. So, so in that perfect world case, we could take all our decisions. The next car I buy, tell you what, I'm going to buy three cars. I'm going to split test it. In five years from now, I'm going to know which car was the right car to buy. Yeah. Unless this is a simulation and this is one of our AB tests right now. <laughs> there you go. Whatever you <laughs> Totally other conversation, a parallel universe. We see how that one works. That's right. People are like, this is descending rapidly. Uh, (laughs) One thing I just came to mind, you know, I sold tuxedos um, in college at, at bridal showers. So I show up, they put me in a tuxedo and I'm standing there at the booth and all the brides flock into this bridal um, event expo, bridal expo. And there's like, they're all running around. Sometimes they have husband or fiancés in tow. Sometimes they don't. And they, they get to me and I say, you know, do you have your tuxedos figured out? Do you have your penguin suits already for the big day? You know, and and so our job there, you know, similar to what you were talking about, was to to not get people to buy anything there, but we wanted them to come to the store and check things out. And what was really interesting about uh, the company I worked with was um, there was a little bit of a, a hurdle we had to get over. Every and and no, none of the other companies did this in the tuxedo realm. They would just say, "Here, sign this thing, come come to the store." But what this company required was a totally refundable ten dollar deposit. Oh wow! And the idea was, um, come to the store, see what you like. You get all these discounts you wouldn't normally get because we're competing with all these other tuxedo people. Um, and you won't get that in the store, but you'll get this now, and this will never expire. You bring this to the store. If you like what you see, great. If you don't, here's your ten dollars back. Uh, but it was it was one of those things where, you know, the whole point was just to get you into the store and and have you not delay on it and, and putter around. And, but, it, but to your point, it, each one was like a test and you start, you know, learning lessons and, and that the idea of, of people aren't interested, not trying to beat them up over it because early on, I wasted a lot of time trying to convert everyone, you know, and then eventually the owners, you're spending a lot of time on people that already told you they're not interested, you know, and, and how much more time could you spend with everyone else that actually is interested if you, you switch that up but anyways i i love i love it. if anyone could do that or if i could recommend people do something at any point really in their career is to get in a place where they have to they have to try different things and test things out and experience you know same situation over and over again and try to make it different every time well it's what makes marketing exciting i mean that job sounds cool in a way because totally. it's you're it's really it's human behavior i mean that's yeah. that's what we're talking about we're not just talking about getting leads and putting them right. in the crm and stuff we're talking about understanding human behavior and i mean that's the cool i mean women who are brides and about to get married i'm sure there's a whole lot of human behavior going on that you're you know figuring out there so yeah and i didn't realize you were a male model so that's cool well you know tuxedo (laughs) model what can i say you know nice to meet you (laughs) yeah absolutely well this has been great man i don't know if you looked at the clock but time is just like I took, well, I, took, I got the big water bottle. I told you. you I got, and I know you got a two. This was a two water bottle. Uh, two water bottle. Right? Yeah, yeah. And one cup of coffee. <laughs> Served us well. well. Thanks again for coming. And this has been awesome. And it, you know, I get the sense that this is just the tip of the iceberg of the information that we've, that I've, we've learned here in just a second. So maybe throw out some links, you know, to some of these tools. The, um, where can people go to connect with you, but also with Mech Labs and, and some good next steps? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Like I said, we're a teaching institution, so we have a lot of this available for free online. You can cool. go to mechlabs.com, M-E-C-L-A-B-S.com, and you can see you know, there's a lot of free information on there. Um, our primary publishing websites are Marketing Sherpa and Marketing Experiments. So you can go to marketingsherpa.com, marketingexperiments.com. Again, 
tons of free information on there. Um, and you know, I'm on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever. I always love connecting with people and all that stuff too. So awesome. We'll definitely put those links on the show notes so people can connect and they can send you different messages and test and see which one works the best. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. This has been, this has been awesome. I know you're going to go hit the beach later, probably. <laughs> well, it's not snowing up here yet, but it will probably tomorrow. Awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah, it was, it was great being on. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, hey, to everyone hearing this, if you learned anything or picked anything from this, and you have to be crazy if you didn't, because I, I have like three or four pages of notes, then share this with someone else and, and get this information to them so they can learn from it too and, and maybe do some testing themselves or or uh, or better understand the numbers that they're seeing from the test they're currently doing. Uh, but this has been great. And so for everyone else, we'll see you on the next episode. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all later. Bye.